Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's a What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Flippin' Bats. Baseball might still be locked out, but Flippin' Bats is still locked in. And we got a really fun and exciting episode for you today. Of course, off the top, we're going to round the bases. And then we got a special guest for you, USA Today baseball insider Bob Nightingale. Bob Nightingoat, if you will, an absolute legend of the insider game. And then you know I like to do some lists at the end, and I want to start something fun. Leading into the 2022 baseball season, I want my list to be the top players at each position heading into the season. So we're going to start that today as well, starting with pitchers and catchers. But right off the top, let's start with first base, rounding the bases, and talk about the Major League Baseball lockout. A little bit of an update on where we are. This is day 97 of the Major League Baseball lockout. Spring training is currently supposed to be going on. That's not happening. So where are we? How, how are we here? Why are we here? Well, let me explain a little further than, than I did the last time we had an episode because a lot has happened since then. About a week or so ago, about two weeks ago, the owners and the Players Association had a meeting, had meetings every single day down in Florida at Roger Dean Stadium. Every single day they met in hopes of coming to a deal. There was a deadline set, so every single day they met. And and you know what? It was an absolute roller coaster. Every single day I heard, man, they met, it didn't go well. And then the next day you hear, progress was made, things are going better. And then the very next day, back in the other direction. So that week down in Florida was an absolute roller coaster that all led up to the night of the deadline. Now, what happened the night of that deadline? Well, a, a lot. And as we got closer and closer to that deadline, it seemed like they were coming closer and closer to a deal. And and you know what happened this night? That night, Bob Nightingale, today's guest, became an absolute legend in the baseball world. Just to see everybody get so excited about the possibility of a deal was awesome. But as the night went on and on, it started getting into the wee hours of the morning, and they decided to push the deadline to the next day the following day at 5 p.m. So they did just that. They broke up. Everybody thought they'd be coming to a deal that next day, or at least hopes were high, and it didn't happen. They actually went backwards. They did not come to a deal. The roller coaster continued, and the day ended with Commissioner Manfred canceling the first two series of the season. He officially delayed the season and canceled games. And that was kind of it. That was the end of that week negotiating. Where do, where do we go from here? What do we do? They flew back to New York where they're headquartered. And, and then talks resumed. And this is, this is this prior week now. So we're getting close to where we stand present time, which is Tuesday, March 8th, when we're recording this episode. Things were going back and forth again this past week. Um, and, and now we're here. Okay. We're where we are today, Tuesday, March 8th, which is a big day in baseball. The two sides are meeting again. There's another deadline set. And this deadline is for if a deal doesn't come by today's deadline, then 162 games aren't possible. Well, what does that mean? Because Commissioner Manfred last week actually canceled six games. So how how is that possible? How are we here? How are 162 games still on the table? Well, Evan Drellich, who's been on top of this the whole time, tweeted about this and tweeted that 162 games are still possible because they're going to add in games 
here and there throughout the season on off days. And his tweet went like this. 162 games are still on the table after Commissioner Rob Manfred postponed opening day and canceled the first two series of the season. How is that possible? Presumably those two series can still be rescheduled even if opening day is later than the originally scheduled March 31st. So the Players Association has said all along that a deal, it is important to them to have 162 games and full pay involved. So here we are. Today is a massive day in terms of the Major League Baseball lockout. We're in jeopardy of losing more games. We're in jeopardy of the season being delayed, delayed even further. But here we are, a big day. Progress has been made. Um, and look, I, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds with the specifics of the lockout, but one of the major, major issues, if not the most major issue, is the CBT, the Competitive Balance Tax. Both sides have been holding firm on where they are with that CBT, and that has been a major issue. Another issue has been playoffs. How many playoff teams are there going to be? There were 10. Now both sides have pretty much agreed on 12, but Major League Baseball wants 14. That's a major talking point as well. So here we are recording this episode on a Tuesday, which is a big day in Major League Baseball, and, and I'm really excited to get to our guest here in a little while that's going to give us all the scoop, give us a lot of details on where we are, how today is going, and, and where we go from here, and when we're going to get baseball back. So I'll get to that in a little while, but baseball's still locked out with maybe a glimmer of hope in sight. Maybe we're getting closer. But let's head on over to second base and talk about what I've been doing during this, this lockout, what I've been doing with my time. And, and one of the things that I've loved doing is being on Twitter, being very vocal on Twitter about what's going on, but also these tweets that I've been doing. These I'll start tweets, if you will. Every, pretty much every day during this lockout, I've had a bunch of them. And I basically make a statement and then say, I'll start and answer it myself. And it leads to a lot of engagement, and, which is awesome. I, I love this game of baseball. I love having conversations with, with people about baseball. And I wanted to talk about a few of those today. One of them being, Name a record that you think will never be broken. I'll start. Cal Ripken Jr.'s 2,632 consecutive games played. That was my answer. I'll start. First off, that record is remarkable. 2,632 games played consecutively. That will never happen again. That is remarkable that that even happened to begin with. And I don't think that record even gets close. But what I wanted to do with these tweets is talk about some of, some of the answers in them. Because like I just said a minute ago, I truly do love engaging with you guys on social media and, and bringing you guys something to talk about with baseball. When all looks bleak in the baseball world, I try and stay positive. I try and talk about the lockout in a positive light. And I try to engage with you guys as much as possible. And I got a lot of good answers to these questions. And I sort of became like the I'll start guy of Twitter. And I love it. And, and a lot of these answers that you guys gave to this question, the one that I would say I agree with most, name a record that you think will never be broken, Cy Young. Cy Young's number of career wins. Now, this number is remarkable. And, and I'm going to give a good reference point here. The active leader in Major League Baseball in career wins is a guy by the name of Justin Verlander, my brother. 226 career wins. 226 in a long career. The leader all time for career wins, Cy Young. 511. 511. My brother isn't even halfway there. That is a remarkable stat. We're not even going to come close to that. Pitchers don't throw as much. Pitchers don't pitch as often. They don't throw as many innings. But by far, I thought the best answer given to that question. Another I'll start question that I asked was, who is the best team to not win a championship? I'll start the 2014 Detroit Tigers. Now, I could have gone with any of these Detroit Tigers teams. The 2013 team, arguably, 
was better than that 14 team. But you look at that 14 team. The pitching rotation included Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, David Price, Rick Porcello, Anibal Sanchez, and a guy that wasn't even in that rotation that is a friend of the pod and just won a Cy Young Award, Robbie Ray. He was on that team as well. Those Tigers teams in 13 and 14 that never won a championship, that's tough to swallow. It's tough to, those teams were the best teams in baseball those years, and they didn't win. They blew it. So that was my answer. But another very common answer that I got, very common, was the Seattle Mariners. I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you not pick them? I didn't because obviously I have a connection to these 14, 13 Tigers teams. But in 2001, the Seattle Mariners won more games than anybody ever in the regular season. And they didn't win. They didn't win a World Series. You know, that's, that's a great answer. That probably is the answer, and that's the one that I got most often in my comments to this, um, or, that, or that 2001 Seattle Mariners team. But it just shows, like, these questions have been so fun, and I just wanted to find a way to highlight them in, in today's show because, yes, baseball is locked out. There's not a lot to talk about, but I've still found a way to engage with you guys and have a lot of fun and, and become the I'll start guy of Twitter. And it's been a blast doing it. So let's head on over to third base and talk about some actual baseball and some baseball players. I want to talk about Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman has been in an, an Atlanta Brave his entire career. Always has been, and I thought always will be. Even before this lockout started, I thought Freddie Freeman is an Atlanta Brave. But as this lockout has gone on, more and more has come out about other teams making a hard push for him and how he hasn't really gotten what he's wanted from the Braves. Most recently, the Tampa Bay Rays are interested in Freddie Freeman and reportedly offered him a big deal. The Tampa Bay Rays. He's also been linked to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Max Muncie comes out and says, hey, I would love to have this guy. Imagine how dangerous we'd be if we get Freddie Freeman in the lineup. And that's true. Think about that. Freddie Freeman, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Another incredible thing to think about. I mean, the guy's a stud. He's also been linked to the New York Yankees. The Yankees are expected to take a run at Freddie Freeman, who they love. To be honest, who doesn't love Freddie Freeman? They say he'd be a great fit in that lineup, one of the best left-handed hitters. Let's talk about Freddie Freeman and how he would be a great fit anywhere. Freddie Freeman is one of the best left-handed hitters in baseball. But it goes far, far more than that, much further than that. Freddie Freeman is a fantastic baseball player, a fantastic clubhouse guy, and has a lot of fun playing this game. Whoever ends up getting Freddie Freeman, whether it be the Tampa Bay Rays who offered him a deal, the Los Angeles Dodgers, who would love to have him. The New York Yankees, who are going to make a run at him. They're going to get a great player, but they're going to get somebody that is a, a, a career, a, a franchise-altering player in a good way. Freddie Freeman is, is a staple in a franchise. Look at him with the, with the Atlanta Braves. You know, Ronald Acuna is a stud, but Freddie Freeman is an Atlanta Brave. That's what he becomes on any team. He becomes a staple piece in that team that can go out and win you a championship, which he just proved with the Atlanta Braves. So I'm excited to see what team he ends up with. Will it be one of these three teams? The Tampa Bay Rays, the Los Angeles Dodgers, the New York Yankees. Or will it be another one, a shot in the dark, a, a random team that we didn't, I, I've heard him mentioned with the, the Mets. Steve Cohen's been on an absolute spending spree. Who knows what's going to happen there? Or will he stay with the Atlanta Braves? Will he stay with the team and spend his entire career with the team that he came up with? That's what I thought would happen, but I don't know. And this news yesterday that came out about the Rays giving him an offer. How cool is that, by the way? Let's look at the Tampa Bay Rays, who have been so close for so many years now, consistently been the best team in Major League Baseball in the regular season for years now. 
but they haven't been able to get over that hump, and they've done it with one of the lowest payrolls in baseball. But now look at them. They're going out and, and trying to get Freddie Freeman, a huge deal. They go out and get Nelson Cruz last year in the middle of a playoff run. They go out and spend $300 million on Wander Franco, almost. They're starting to spend. How cool is that? Tampa Bay Rays are going for it. And that fan base, that team, they deserve it. They've done so much with, I don't want to say so little, because clearly what they have is, has been great, but they've gotten so much out of a roster that you would never expect to compete with the big guns in the league, and they take them down. Now imagine what they could do with a guy like Freddie Freeman. How cool would that be? But that's going to be a big talking point as soon as this lockout wraps up. And I'm actually going to get to that in a little while with our guest as well, Bob Nightingale. What's going to happen with Freddie Freeman? We'll see if he has anything there. But let's round third and head on home and talk about a major, major point right now. The rule changes in Major League Baseball. Rule changes that are coming, to be quite honest with you. I don't know when, and it is important to note that everything we've seen over the last couple of days couple of weeks about these new rule changes that I'm about to get to, nothing is official until a new deal has been inked. Nothing. Not these new, not these new rules, not the playoff format, nothing is official. But it has been talked about that the player side could be on board with certain rule changes. I do believe they are coming, whether it be next year or the years following. These rule changes are coming, and I want to talk about those. The first of which being banning the shift. Now, a quick synopsis on what that means, banning the shift. What is that? For the past few years now, the shift has been very, very prominent. Players on the left side of the field, this predominantly happens with a left-handed batter. Players on the left side of the field, the shortstop and the third baseman, will move all the way out into onto the right side of the field and basically cover that whole area, which is where players normally hit it. That's a very quick synopsis on the shift. The talk is now about banning the shift, modifying the shift. It's, it's going to come eventually. And here's my thoughts on it. And this may not be the most popular thought in the world, but here's my thoughts. This will be good for the game of baseball. Now, why, you ask? Why can't they just you have a bunch of fielders and you, you have data on where guys are going to be hitting it. I hear you. But let's talk about what this does for the game of baseball. It incentivizes contact, which is something that baseball got away from. Why would a guy hit the ball on the ground when he knows it's going to be an out? Well, this incentivizes contact. What the shift has done over the course of the last few years is even more so get us to the three true outcomes, a home run, a walk, or a strikeout. Because a guy knows if I hit it on the ground, it's going to be an out. So I might as well just try and hit a homer. It's caused less contact. It's caused more strikeouts. All things that aren't good for the game of baseball. So this will be better for the game of baseball to get more contact, to get more balls in play, to cut down on strikeouts, to allow defenders to defend their position. You know, there's so many stud athletes out there in Major League Baseball. Shortstop are, are typically the most dazzling players on the field. They make some incredible plays. When the shift is on, if it doesn't come right at a guy, the guy right next to him is going to catch it. So your defense doesn't really matter. We'll get back to that. But all of this is leading to more contact, less strikeouts, quicker, quicker games, getting balls put in play earlier, more action. That's all good stuff for the game of baseball. And the argument of, well, why would, you know, you have defenders, just put them out there. Well, let's look, about, let's look at that for a second. Let's look at the NBA. You have a guy that's seven foot a billion, Shaquille O'Neal. Let's just put him right under the basket and then throw the ball to him every time. Guess what? You can't do that because there's rules in place to prevent him from standing right there because it's unfair. Let's look at football, the NFL. Let's just line up everybody on this side of, of the line of scrimmage and, then, and send them out there, and the defense will be so confused. You can't do that. It's called illegal formation. All of these sports have something in place to hopefully and potentially make the game better, make the game better for the viewers, make it more fair for everybody on the field. That's what banning the shift is about, is making the game better. 
getting more contact, cutting down on strikeouts, all of that stuff, which I think in the long run will be better for the game of baseball. So that's talking about banning the shift. Let's talk about the pitch clock. The pitch clock is potentially coming to baseball. Now, what is that? Well, first off, let me stress this. I don't like using the term pitch clock. That's what it's being called. But in my opinion, it's more of a play clock because the batters are no saints here either. The batters will step out of the box and take their sweet time and wave to somebody in the stands and blow a bubble and make sure they look good. They take their sweet time getting in the box as well. And then you have pitchers on the other end who sometimes take 45 seconds in between pitches, especially relievers. You see it all the time. They'll get the ball back and they'll walk around the mound and they'll, they'll do whatever they do, and it takes a while. So there's talks of implementing a pitch clock. Now, what I've heard so far is that with nobody on base, it would be 14 seconds, and with somebody on base, it would be 19 seconds. I don't think that's going to happen. I think we could see a standard base 19, 20-second pitch clock slash play clock. I'd rather go with that. But I'm on, I'm on board with this. I, I, I don't really have a strong opinion on this one one way or the other. I do think it'll help. It'll help, you know, it'll help speed up the game a little bit. Um, but I, yeah, I'm also a lover of baseball. I love this game. I'm not on the page of we need to speed up the game at all costs. Like what, what would a pitch clock? A pitch clock would help a little bit maybe. But I, I do think, again, that would help. that would help speed it up a little bit. That would also help. With everything that we've talked about, contact, putting the ball in play, pitchers aren't overanalyzing every single thing, and, and that would help. But I do want to stress, I don't like the term pitch clock. Batters have issues getting in the box as well. It's more of a play clock. So we'll see about that one. Next up, larger bases. Larger bases. Now, what could be, what is the point of that? That's kind of what I've heard. What, what's the point of larger bases? Well, let me tell you a, a few talking points. One, baseball is a game of inches. How many plays down the line do you see a bang bang play at first base? It goes to replay, and the guy is out with his foot a centimeter off of the base. The ball got into the glove. Well, guess what? That's going to be a hit. It's going to create a little more offense. The bases are going to be a little bit larger. Meaning, And you know what I'm most excited about with these larger bases? That play at second base now or at the base, a, a tag play, where replay has essentially been overused for this, where a guy slides in, he's safe, but, oh, his thumb popped off of the base for a split second He's out. He got he, the, the tag was on him when he slid off the base. He's out. Well, this will help with that. And that's never what replay was intended for, is to help with those sort of things. Um, so there's going to be more of a base, more of a base to hold on to, not slide off of. And um, I also think it, it, it will help with preventing injuries. You know, the, the whole in the vicinity play at second base during double plays, where the infielder would just come through and like not really touch the base to, to avoid injury. You can't do that with replay. Now the base will be bigger, so it will help, I think, with injuries. Um, so th that's kind of the thought process behind larger bases, because I've kind of just heard, what's the point? Now we're just changing things to change things. Well, that's not the case. There, there are thought processes. And, and you know what? One, these rules aren't official. But two, when they do become official, we're going to try them out. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But rule changes at some point are coming to Major League Baseball, and we're gonna have to we're gonna have to see how they turn out. But I'm gonna ask my guest about those rule changes, and I'm gonna ask my guest about a lot of other things involving the lockout and where we are and where certain players are gonna go and what's the deal with all of these rules, everything. And I'm excited to get to it now. A Major League Baseball insider for USA Today, Bob Nightingale. Bob, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Ben. Of course. So, hey, I wanted to ask you, I know, um, one, this is a big day in baseball. We're talking now on, on Tuesday, and this is a big day for baseball. I know talks are ongoing, and you're actually uh, at the players' camp down in, in Arizona. So I wanted to ask about that. H how is it down there? Uh, how, how's the vibe going on this big day of talks amongst the players? 
Yeah, they had about 55 players there, Ben, and wow. uh, from about 10 or 12 different teams. Uh, great complex, about $300 million complex. And the union will you know, use it as long as they have to. Uh, I'm not sure if they'll still keep using it once the uh, lockout ends and maybe have uh, the free agent uh, players. But, yeah, they love the place and they, uh, a lot of camaraderie. Uh, you know, it's way on the other side of town. It takes forever to get there. But, yeah, it's a good spot. Whose stadium, whose stadium is it? Is it one of the spring training stadiums? No, brand new. It's more like a youth complex. It just got built in uh, February. Oh, wow. So just a lot of uh, youth fields and like 300, 350 acres. Massive place. And even the players were joking, man, I wish we could use this for our own spring training site rather than the uh, the major league spots. But yeah, nice, nice facility. That's so cool. What, what are some of the, who are some of the big names down there right now? Well, the biggest showed up uh, toward the end was Trevor Bauer showed up. Uh, pretty much the first time, you know, people had really seen him, you know, for a, uh, God, since last July. Uh, you know, uh, Liam uh, Hendrickson was there, uh, you know, from the White Sox, yeah. uh, Austin Slater. Uh, those, those are the biggest names that, you know, jump out. Uh, Mitch Hanniger from Seattle. Oh, wow. Uh, and a, uh, uh, Kyle Hendricks, too, also from the uh, Cubs. Cool. So, hey, let, let's talk about the lockout for a minute. And... Like I said, today's a big day. There, there's another deadline set for today, but I lose the, use the term deadline softly. We saw it once get changed, so who, who knows about that? But no matter how you shake it up, today is a big day. And, and Bob, what I, what I want to ask you is, and, and best explain it to, to the people listening, what are the biggest issues? Like, what is the biggest issue happening in that negotiation room right now? I think the biggest by far is just the electric tax thresholds. Uh, they're so close and everything else. I mean, they've agreed on a 12-team postseason, DH. Minimum salary is only 25000 so, you know, they can split the difference there. There was a $50 million difference on the, uh, in the new pre-arbitration pool that never existed before. But from my understanding, things are uh, moving along well. And, uh, you know, I don't believe that Tuesday night is the uh, – I'm, I'm sorry, Monday night's the deadline. I, I think the real deadline is going to be a, uh, in the afternoon tomorrow. Okay. So can you explain what, what is the CBT? You say the luxury tax, but to people that hear that and all they've seen is uh, CBT, that's the big issue. What, what is it? What is the CBT? It was really designed you know, back in 2003 to uh, curb the Yankees' runaway spending. You know, teams got tired of the Yankees spending more than everybody else. <laughs> so it's like, okay, let's punish the Yankees. They have to go up a luxury tax. Uh, and give to small market teams if they uh, spend too much. And then the Dodgers joined in. You know, Boston was over for a lot of years. It was just Yankees and Boston for a long time. And I think the problem now is with the Dodgers. The Dodgers spent, you know, $25 million luxury tax, you know, which was uh, the next highest with the Padres at 215 And I think everybody in the National League West said, hold on here, let's bring these guys back and punish them. They did spend uh, $35 million in luxury tax penalty. But I think teams, too, want to see them forfeit draft picks. And so, you know, Steve Cohen of the Mets now is talking about maybe a $300 million payroll. So it's pretty much just to stop the runaway spenders. And obviously, there's a lot of teams, you know, four teams last year that came within $5 million of luxury tax. So it's almost, you know, almost a de facto salary cap. Yeah. And that's what the argument is like. Guys or teams are only going to spend up to that luxury tax limit because they're treating it like a salary cap. Yeah. Another big talking point has been changes, rule changes. And, and I know you were just down there or you are down there talking to players. Have you had a chance to talk to them about some of the rule changes, the, the shift, the pitch clock? And if so, what's the consensus? How, how do they feel about those? Well, Lake Trinan of the Dodgers was really against the pitch clock, saying, what are we doing here? Why are we trying to change the game? And, uh, you know, hey, in the minor leagues last year, the time of game was down 20 minutes. But the big thing was, I think the batting average was about, up about 30 points in almost a, uh, we saw a run a game uh, more. Wow. More home runs, fewer strikeouts, even fewer walks. So that's the big thing. Uh, the shift is not really banning the shift, but restricting it to make sure all four infielders stay in the infield dirt. And as soon as that pitcher releases the ball, then you can run around like madman, you know, do whatever you want. <laughs> And they, uh, you know, then they went to enlarge the bases by three inches. And the minor leagues had only added up to uh, one extra stolen base uh, game. 
uh, but it was like a 76% swollen base uh, success rate. So maybe we'll see, you know, people, you know, start running more like it used to be. Would you, would you agree with me here? And, and I've said that I actually talked to my brother about this yesterday about the pitch clock. And I've decided I want to call it a play clock because the batters are no saints themselves, Bob. They'll stand out of the box for 30 seconds sometimes. So, yes, it is being called a pitch clock. But basically, it's going to make action happen faster. Batters back in the box, pitchers on the rubber. Let's go to it. Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, the uh, yeah, batters are to blame as much as anything, you know, taking the Velcro off, you know, <laughs> uh, standing there and still stepping out. But yeah, it should speed up the game. Uh, you know, scouts, executives that go down the minor leagues love the rule. They say it just picks up the pace. Hey, if there's a great four, four and a half hour game, nobody cares, but you have to have action. And yeah. we've, we've seen too much time, no action at all. It's like, you know, in football, it would be like, you know, Tom Brady sent back and throwing a bomb every play. You know, pretty cool when he hits a guy, his receiver. But when he doesn't, it might take two and a half quarters before he does. So I think that's what's happened in baseball. <laughs> that's a good point. Hey, can you explain to me, there's been a lot of talk of a ghost win. And I know that's kind of contingent. And you just said it's looking like they're moving forward now as if it'd be 12 teams in the postseason. So this wouldn't matter. But let's say 14 teams are involved in the, in the end. And then comes in a ghost win. What was all that talk about? And what is a ghost win? So in the, uh, the first round of best of five, whoever has the best record would start the series up 1-0. And so they only have to win uh, two games where their team has to win uh, three. And uh, they do it in uh, Korea. But I think the team that always had the ghost win always won the series anyway. So Major League Baseball said, if we want to know part of that, you know, we get killed <laughs> enough having a ghost runner in the 10th inning, let alone a ghost win. So they said, no, we're not, we're not doing it. <laughs> it's funny. I had not too long ago, I had Adam Jones on the podcast who has been playing over in Japan for the last couple of years. And he actually talked about that and potentially doing it over here before it was ever even a thing. So he actually was a fan of it, but I, I definitely, I, I get both sides of it. Another one I wanted to ask about is robot umpires. Um, I don't know how much of that is being talked in, in this in, in this agreement right now, but over the last couple of years, it's been more and more and more of a talking point. Is that coming anytime soon, do you think? Well, the union stopped that one. They say, hey, we'll give you 45 days to uh, implement one of those three rules, but not row of umps. Uh, you know, I don't think they have the technology down. I mean, it's almost like even in, you're watching baseball games. Even when you watch the replay 10 times, you don't know whether the guy was uh, safe or out. Yeah. It's just a, uh, you know, when the camera angles aren't right, so let alone a strike zone. But you talk to some umpires, I say, you know what, we wouldn't mind it. If baseball is going to start embracing gambling and, you know, a lot more people gambling in stadiums, you know, they don't want to be crushed if they miss a call or two on a, on a strike zone, you know, late in the game. Yeah. Uh, you know, because of that, let's take it out of our hands. I'm with you. I, I, I don't think the technology is there yet. I've seen it in action in the Arizona Fall League some. Um, and I just think I think it's got to be a little better. I think I don't know how you do it, but I've seen curveballs bounce in the dirt. They clip the strike zone and everybody's like, that, what are you talking about? So I do think I do think baseball is heading there. I just don't know if it's in the next year or two, because I do think there's there's work that needs to be done. Um, so what I want to to ask you here is there's, there's been a lot of negativity in, in the world uh, in baseball world about this lockout. Obviously people are frustrated. I've been trying to stay as positive as I possibly can be throughout it all. So what I want to ask you is give the people listening a reason to be optimistic. Like why should everyone listening feel a little optimistic about where we are right now? I think both sides realize there's so much to lose. They are making progress. Uh, I'd be, you know, I think we'll have a deal done by tomorrow. I do. Uh, if a deal is not done, and then all of a sudden you have a problem, it's like, okay, how about the game is missed, back pay, service time? It just complicates uh, so many issues. Uh, you know, the, the fans are, you know, going nuts here. And I think, you know, hey, if you miss a couple of weeks of uh, the season, it's going to scar the game forever. And some of these fans are not going to come back. You know, even back in 94, 95, it took a dozen years for the attendance to finally reach the level of 94. You know, that's even with the, uh, you know, Cal Ripken breaking uh, Lou Gehrig's mark and, of course, the great home run race with Sosa McGuire. So I, I think this would be uh, devastating to the sport. 
that's why I think they, they know that hey, they get a deal done by tomorrow. They can still have a Hershey two game season, full pay, and maybe all is forgiven. So I, I know it's an opinion, and you know I know you're hopeful. What gives you what gives you that optimism? What because in the in the public eye, you know they haven't really budged on CBT. Finally, we saw a little bit of movement. Uh, what gives you the optimism to say I think? And I'm hopeful that they could get something done tomorrow. Well, I think there's been enough movement today on both sides, compromising. Uh, I think MLB is pushing the numbers even more. Like, I think they realize, hey, we got to get something done. So uh, so hopefully by, you know, in the afternoon. I don't think anybody believes there's really a deadline tonight, you know, just like in Florida. <laughs> yeah. It was at night, but it was supposed to be the next day. Same thing now. But they have to get a deal done by say five o'clock Eastern time tomorrow, you know, to make this thing work. So speaking of, of Florida, like you just brought up, I, I wanted to talk to you about Florida and what were those, this Florida was crazy, by the way, it would just seem like a massive roller coaster for everybody involved. And you were right there in the thick of it every single day. What were those days and nights like for you guys on, on the media side of things, just hanging out there, relaying news to people, because it's crazy on our end. How was it, how was Florida from your perspective in those long days and nights? Well, at least it was good weather, Ben, even at night, you know, <laughs> two thirty in the morning, it was warm, you know, where it gets you know, cold in California, cold in Arizona at night. Uh, so yeah, just kind of watching guys go back and forth. Okay, what the, was that the eighth meeting, the ninth meeting, the 10th meeting, you know, what time is it? Uh, you know, 16 and a half hours. There was a, a reporter from the Associated Press, Ron Blum, who's covered a number of these. He was predicting we we're going to go till 11 in the morning or 2 in the afternoon because he remembered a, a, a 2002 negotiation that lasted 23 hours. So, yeah, it ended at 2.30 in the morning, and uh, they lost all momentum. It was never the same the next day. But that day was a, uh, you know, a mad rush. Even, you know, Rod Manford stopped by the group of reporters that were working at it, you know, people giving thumbs up. So, uh, you know, got relatively close, but, you know, not close enough. So I think the same thing is going on here one week later. Well, one, maybe the meeting should have gone until like 11 a.m. because they were getting close and then they lost all the momentum. But are you aware, Bob, that that night you became a social media star? I mean, you took the world by storm. You became the white knight of baseball Twitter. Were you aware of it in that moment when it was happening? And, you know, I got a couple of texts, but I didn't quite understand it because, you know, <laughs> right during the moment, it wasn't like I was part of the negotiating team as far as saving baseball. You know, I just reported, okay, instead of 14 teams, Major League Baseball said we'll go to 12. They're not going to double the uh, luxury tax penalties. And that was it, just kind of, you know, reporting the news. But I think people, you know, how it happens on social media – get carried away like I was the one uh, you know, <laughs> negotiating with the two sides myself. Oh, the uh, social media definitely got carried away. And I have, <laughs> I said this that night, I haven't seen social media, especially baseball Twitter, all together as they were that night. And it was your tweets that were coming out that was just sending everybody in an absolute storm and a frenzy. And then you know what you did to follow that up? You brought bagels the next day. And everybody, even more so, was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. So the picture of you just holding bagels for everybody was awesome. Would, would you just want to do something nice for people to go pick up a bunch of bagels and bring them? <laughs> they were actually delivered, and the uh, photographer there from uh, SNY says, hey, can you hold the bagels for everybody? I said, sure. I just <laughs> did that. And that was it. They were already delivered. And uh, But, yeah, I mean, the one encouraging part was I was surprised how many fans were that, you know, into it. Because obviously baseball has brought down the pecking order of sports. You know, even today, you know, when we're at the, uh, you know, the union workouts, you know, we're kind of laughing like, you know, baseball better not end the uh, lockout today because it'll be on page 45 of the newspapers because everything's going to be about Aaron Rodgers <laughs> and Russell Wilson. So let's hold it off one more day. That's a good point. And, hey, this is kind of aside from the lockout, and, and, but still important news happening in the baseball world. Bob, I thought and thought for certain – Freddie Freeman was going to be an Atlanta Brave for life. That was my thought. And it still could be the case, but with every day of this lockout continuing, it comes out more and more that other teams are interested 
and that other teams are going to pay, willing to pay him more money. We've heard about the Rays as of recently. We've heard about the Dodgers. We've heard about the Yankees. And, you know, I, I'm not saying predict something, but how much substance is there to these offers he's getting? And is it, I'm assuming it's not a foregone conclusion anymore that Freddie Freeman will be an Atlanta Brave. No, it's not. But remember now, you know, no one's allowed to talk uh, negotiations since the lockout, December 1st. So it's not like any teams are coming to the back door and doing that kind of thing. You know, so I think with the time period, it's like people getting a little carried away. Like, oh, Atlanta doesn't want to bring them back. What's going on? It's just, you know, that's it. We saw yeah. a few superstars sign before, a, uh, you know, December 1st, uh, but not Freddie. You know, I, I think the Dodgers are the X factor. You know, they can move Max Muncy over to second base. And, of course, you got the DH, that sort of thing. Uh, otherwise, I can't see another team jumping in. I can't see the Yankees, you know, paying that kind of money when you still got, you know, Aaron Judge to, uh, you know, yeah. worry about in a year. Uh, I think he'd be very sad if he's not back Atlanta. You know, he, he means so much to the organization. The organization loves him. You know, he wants six years. You know, give him a six-year. You know, especially now with the universal DH, you know, age, hopefully it shouldn't matter as much, but I think that'd be, you know, be sad because he does not want to leave there and he is so beloved in that organization. I mean, they should retire his number there one day. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what I was going to ask you next is one, one, I don't want to live in a world where Freddie Freeman's not an Atlanta brave. He just feels like an Atlanta brave. But one thing I said all along is that it just makes sense for both sides to wait until after the universal DH is a hundred percent official then you don't mind tacking on that extra year, two years to Freddie Freeman at the end of his career because you know, hey, he can go DH. So that, that's not a crazy thought on my end. That could be you know, a, a factor that played into them. You know, let's just wait until it's official that there's going to be a DH for us. Yeah, no, absolutely. And they've already offered him five years, about 135, a little bit more than Paul Goldschmidt got with the St. Louis Cardinals, but Paul wasn't a, a free agent then, and he was new to the organization. So, I mean, Freddie's, you know, could be worth five or $10 million a year just on PR alone, you know, being the spokesman yep. of that franchise, just, you know, the all-American guy, uh, even though he's Canadian. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's perfect uh, fit. Uh, yeah, I really hope, you know, I think if he comes back, I really think Atlanta has as good a chance as anybody to repeat. You know, we haven't seen a repeat champion in the National League since they own Big Red Machine in, uh, what, 75, 76 in Cincinnati. Yeah, and you see it all the time. And look at look at the Astros. Once you get there, then you're you have that experience. And there you can't speak enough about experience when it comes to the playoffs. And the Braves did it. They got over that Dodgers hump. They won the World Series and now they're going to come in with a different looking team, but having that experience there to back it up. And Bob, before I let you go, one thing I want to ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Free agency is going to go nuts, right, when this CBA is officially happened and signed. Who do you think is going to be the first person, the first superstar to sign when all is ready to go and teams are able to sign people? I'll go with maybe a, uh, a Kyle Schwarber, uh, maybe a Nick Castellanos. Okay. Uh, I, don't, I think Correa will take a while and some of the other guys. I'll go with one of the uh, big sluggers, uh, you know, corner outfielders that can help you in, in a lot of ways. Uh, but yeah, it will be a frenzy. You got 200 free agents out there. A lot, you know, a lot of guys are gonna have to sign minor league deals. Uh, you know, it's you know, it'd be very interesting because if you get a decent offer, it's not like you can sit around and, and shop it because you got to get to camp. So I think there's gonna be some guys falling by the wayside and fall right into some uh, teams' laps and get a great deal for at least a year. I agree. And in terms of Correa, I've been kind of all over the map. You know, originally I was thinking, okay maybe New York. And then I was thinking, you know what? I think the Cubs make sense. And then as this kept going on and on, it's like, is it just going to take less years with the Astros? What's your prediction? And I know this is a long shot. Nobody really knows. But what are you feeling about Carlos Correa as a good potential landing spot and where you think he might end up? I'll go back to Dodgers being an X-factor. I mean, they got Trey okay. Turner, but they only have Trey Turner for one more year. He's a East Coast guy. Who knows if he wants to stay there as a free agent? Uh, they could always slide him back to second, not that Turner wants to do that, and sign Correa. Uh, you know, maybe Correa signs a shorter-term contract with a ton of opt-out clauses like every single year. Yeah. You know, I'm sure that's what Houston's hoping that. But, yeah, I cannot see him in New York. Uh, they've said all along they want to go with one of the young kids in a couple of years. 
not to block his progress. The thing with the Cubs, you know, they just kind of tore everything down and trade those guys away. <laughs> right. So if they're going to sign a Korea, they would have kept, you know, Bobby Baez and Bryant and Rizzo in the first place. Right. It would look really awkward if they, if they brought them in after dumping everybody else. That's a great point. Hey, Bob, thank you so much for joining me and coming on and talking a little lockout. One thing I need you to do, bring that deal home for us, Bob. We need it to happen. All right. Yeah, get your fingers crossed for tomorrow afternoon. But, yeah, there is a lot of momentum going on. You know, we saw that a week ago, so maybe this time, second time's a charm. <laughs> Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for joining me, and uh, come back anytime. All right. Thanks, man. My pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. All right, and I wanted to, again, thank Bob Nightingale for joining me, talking a little bit about the MLB lockout and some of the rules. But I never stopped thinking truly about the game of baseball, and you guys know I love me some lists. So I want to get to some lists. As we head towards near and near the 2022 season, I want to do some lists listing the best players at each position. With pitchers, we're going to start today with pitchers. There's going to be a top 10 list. We're going to do pitchers and catchers today. Catchers top five, pitchers top 10. And as we go on with the episodes, we'll do corner infielders, middle infielders, and outfielders. But these lists are the top players heading into this season at their position. So let's start with pitchers, and let's start with number 10. I'm going to bring my producer Conrad out here to lead me on my way. All right, Ben, coming at number 10, we have Brandon Woodruff. Yes, Brandon Woodruff, who is becoming an absolute stud for the Milwaukee Brewers. I mean, for the past couple of years. I feel like it was that postseason when he got the big hit against the Dodgers, but he threw really well. I feel like that was kind of the postseason that like really put him on the map. And ever since, he has just been a dominant force in that rotation that just has a bunch of dominant forces. So I look for Brandon Woodruff to, again, get – even better. He's a young guy. I'm excited to watch him pitch coming into this year. Number nine, the man that we got close to seeing last year, Max Freed. Yes, Max Freed. Now, I really believe Max Freed here is going to really come onto the scene in 2022. He wasn't a top 10 pitcher in baseball in 2021, but I believe he will be in 2022. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put him here at number nine, just from what we saw down the stretch from him um, in the second half of the year in the World Series, that experience you get in the World Series is invaluable. So then you get to the next year, and you're in the regular season, and you just build off of everything you learned the prior year. He had some struggles, and then he fixed them. He was dominant, and then he did well in the World Series, especially that last game he pitched. So I look for Max Fried to really even more so come on the scene and be a top 10 pitcher in 2022. Come in number eight. I see a theme here in the NL, Zach Wheeler. Yeah, we got a little National League theme here, which I do want to talk about in a little while because you're right. There is a theme here. Zach Wheeler of the Philadelphia Phillies, who really in the last couple of years, again, has taken himself from a good pitcher with great stuff to figuring out how to pitch. And that's kind of the theme on this list you'll see, is pitchers with great stuff that have learned how to dominate with that great stuff. And Zach Wheeler was a Cy Young contender last year in the National League, and I look for him to just build on top of that and be an elite pitcher in the game again in 2022. Come in number seven. I hope I'm not mispronouncing this. Justin Verlander? That's right. Number seven. Justin Verlander. You got that correct. Good job there. Um, look, this one's simple. My brother is, I believe, going to be a top 10 pitcher in the league in 2022 for this reason. He's missed two seasons, pretty much. He pitched one game in, in 2020, missed all of 2021 with Tommy John. But he's back. And he feels great. He feels better than he has in a long time. And the last full season that my brother has pitched, he won the Cy Young Award. He was the best pitcher in the league his last full season. So you think I'm going to stand up here? and not put him on a top 10 pitchers list heading into his next full season? <laughs> no, that's not going to happen. My brother, who is coming back with the Houston Astros, is going to be a top 10 pitcher in the league in 2022. Love to see it. Coming at number six, Cy Young winner from last season, Robbie Ray. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. <laughs> Friend of the pod, Robbie Ray. Um, another guy. Like I told you, there's going to be a theme on this list. Another guy that has had great stuff 
that seemingly figured it out. And, and last year, he absolutely figured it out. He won the Cy Young Award. He was dominant. He had a sub-3 ERA in the American League, which is very difficult to do. The best ERA in the American League. But will he be the same? He won the Cy Young Award. Can he be that guy? I don't know. He's changing locations. He's going to go out and pitch for Conrad, your team, the Mariners. Love to see that Big pickup well. there. Will he have the same year? I don't know. But I do know this. He's a great pitcher with dominant stuff that figured out how to use that dominant stuff. And right here on this show, he talked about the changes he made, the differences that he did, the stuff he did with his mechanics to make him the pitcher that he is today. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to it, especially if you were a Blue Jays fan or now a Mariners fan or just a big Robbie Ray fan. But number six on this list, Robbie Ray. So that's 10 through 6. Let's head on to the top five, Conrad. Who we got at number five? Come in number five, Garrett Cole. He has a couple Cy Youngs as well. He does. And this is an interesting one for me. Garrett Cole is an interesting one because last year he dominated. I mean dominated. And then down the stretch, it was a struggle. It was a struggle for him in in a few games. He had some, some duds. So that's what I have to go off of. You know, a lot of these pitchers had the great stuff and then got better and better and better, and now I think are going to have a great 2022. Garrett Cole has the great stuff. He has a bunch of accolades. He's a stud. He is one of the best pitchers in baseball, no matter where you, no matter where you want to put him on this list. But he didn't end the season great. So what does that mean heading into 2022? He's an interesting one for me. Don't get me wrong. He's going to be the ace of that staff. He's going to be a top 10 pitcher in baseball. But is he going to be one or two, which he has the potential to get to? We'll see. But in my opinion, he's going to be at number five, and that's where I have him on this list. Number four, going to the Dodgers, Walker Bueller. Walker Bueller, Los Angeles Dodgers, friend of the pod as well. This guy just keeps getting better and better and better, and he's so young. And this is a guy that has that great stuff, that knew how to use that great stuff when he came into the league. And I think that's why he is where he is, because um, he's probably he, he's probably the youngest guy up top at the top of this list. And and that's a credit to. And when I talk to him about this, a big credit of that is to where he pitched in college, Vanderbilt. And those guys just pump out the major league pitchers, and they come in ready. So Walker Bueller comes in with that nasty stuff, and he knew how to pitch. So now here he is just getting older and better, but just knowing how to use it better and better and better. He's going to take off again this year. He's going to be a Cy Young candidate as he was last year, and I look for Walker Bueller to be the fourth-best pitcher this year. Love it. Coming number three, Mad Max, Max Scherzer. Mad Max, Max Scherzer at number three on this list. A new deal signed with the New York Mets. He's going to make a lot of money. I mean a lot of money. Now, let's talk about why he's number three. Well, he's another year older. He, you know, he also had some games down the stretch where, look, he, he was used a lot last year. I'm sure there was a, a toll on his body and his arm. But down the stretch as well, there were some duds. But make no mistake about it, Max Scherzer is an elite pitcher in this game. I think he will be a top three pitcher this year, which is why I have him at number three. I think going to New York, I think he has the perfect personality to be a star athlete in New York City. And I think New York's going to eat it up. I think Mets fans are going to absolutely love him. And I think there's going to be a great one-two punch in that rotation, which maybe or maybe not we'll get to in a minute. Let's move on to number two. Number two, last year's NL Cy Young winner, Corbin Burns. I love Corbin Burns. He is an absolute electric factory out there on the mound. His stuff is incredible. He's throwing 100-mile-an-hour cutters. And he's, used, he's learning to use everything. So now you have this Brewers rotation with Corbin Burns, 
with Brandon Woodruff, and with Freddie Peralta, who I couldn't even fit on this list, with three certified aces. But Corbin Burns, I believe, is the best of those aces. And I think he's going to take an even, even more of a turn to becoming a better and better pitcher. We saw what he did last year. He, he won the Cy Young Award. But he really kind of came onto the map last year. He really kind of came out of nowhere to, to the average baseball fan with the beginning of that season where he broke the record for all-time strikeout, consecutive strikeouts without a walk. So not only is this guy throwing 100-mile-an-hour cutters with a wipeout slider and great other pitches, he's also not walking anybody, which is crazy. But he is learning how to use that elite-level stuff at an elite level. He's learning how to pitch at an elite level. And we're seeing that pay off, and I'm excited. Man, am I excited. When I think about this 2022 season, and I think of who I'm excited to watch pitch, this guy's at the top of that list for sure. But he's at number two. So let's talk about number one. Number one must be pretty good, and he is. Jacob deGrom. Jacob deGrom. The best pitcher on planet Earth right now. And there's no arguing that. What I want from this guy right here, from Jacob deGrom, is to be healthy. Please. What we saw from him in 2021 was going to arguably be the greatest season of all time by a pitcher. And then he got hurt. And he missed the end of the season. He missed a lot of the season. So what can we get from this guy? Will he stay healthy? I say yes. That's why I have him at number one. But more than that, we, we know Jacob deGrom is the best, most electric, dominant pitcher on the planet right now. Use whatever adjective you want to describe him. He's the best pitcher in baseball. Can he stay healthy? And the reason I'm excited to watch him over everybody else is because there's a chance we could see the best season of all time by a pitcher. And how often can you say that heading into a season, especially in this day and age? Baseball's been around for a long, long time. It's America's pastime. I think heading into this season, Jacob deGrom will be the best pitcher. I think it was an easy decision. But this was my top 10 pitchers heading into the 2022 season. Let me get this right, though. Seven out of the 10 guys from the National League? Yeah, that's a good point. Seven out of these 10 were National League guys. Now, let's talk about that for a second. In 2021, this past season, of the top 15 pitchers in baseball, the top 15, 13 of those were from the National League. Only two of those, one being friend of the pod, Robbie Ray, and the other being Lance McCullers, were from the American League. Now, why is that so? And why do I think that will be a little bit different? At least by this list, I have three American League guys in my top 10. Well, the DH. Now, the designated hitter is, by all accounts, going to be universal now in both leagues. That, of everything, is pretty much a sure thing. Let me break this down to you as easily as possible. You have a pitcher in the National League. Every nine at-bats, that pitcher gets to face an awful hitter, somebody like my brother, who steps in the box and looks terrible. And you know he's not going to get hit. He doesn't even care about hitting. Well, my brother does, but he still stinks at it. But my point stands. You have these pitchers that aren't good hitters that you get to face every nine at-bats in the National League. Now you go to the American League. Well, every nine at-bats, where you would be facing that pitcher, you're facing David Ortiz, now J.D. Martinez, some, some of the best hitters in the game. Nelson Cruz. Think about that. That is a huge difference. And I always remember my brother telling me this, that pitching in the National League is good for almost about a full run difference on your ERA. So look for that to change. I mean, we're not going to be seeing, you know, Corbin Burns had a 2-5 ERA last year. We're not going to see that anymore. Things are going to change. We're going to see the ERA has become a lot closer. And like I said, 13 of the 15 top best pitchers in 2021 were from the National League. 
That's not going to be the case anymore. We will see more American League pitchers in this top 15. Last question. If Shohei Otani was a full-time pitcher, where would he be on your list? Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. If Shohei Otani was a full-time pitcher, I would have him, he would be in my top five of this list. If he was able to fully focus on, on just pitching, I have no doubts he'd be an elite pitcher. I have no doubts he'd be in the top five. Now, do not ask me who from this top five I would kick out because I don't want to answer that question. But I truly believe if he was able to focus on, on just pitching, he'd be top five. But please don't, Shohei. All right, that wraps up the pitchers. Now let's move on to the top five catchers, in my opinion, in 2022. And let's start with number five. Number five, Travis Darno. Travis Darno. This is an interesting one for me. Now, his, his 2021 campaign was very injury-ridden. Um, he had a tough 2021. It wasn't very good. Why is he on this list? Well, this one goes back to, to his prior years. He's been really good, especially offensively. He has proven to be one of the best offensive catchers in baseball. Then you have last year where he was hurt. He comes back. He's not very good. But as you all know, the Atlanta Braves won the World Series. And he was the catcher for that World Series team. And he hit a couple of home runs in that World Series. As he got healthier, he got better and better. And now he gets an offseason with a little extra time tacked on due to the lockout. I think he's going to be back. I think he's going to be a stud. I think he's going to be a top five catcher. In fact, I think he's going to be the fifth best catcher heading into the 2022 season. Number four, Wilson Contreras. You know what I was thinking about when I, when I put him four on this list? is He's the last remaining piece of that core on the Chicago Cubs. It's just him. Everybody else is gone. Baez, Rizzo, it's kind of sad. But he's still good, and he's now, he's now the guy on this Cubs team. Unless they go out and get a guy like Carlos Correa or something else they're going to do, which I think they will. Um, but this is, he's the guy. And when you, when you think of the catcher position, obviously there's a lot more that goes into it. So offensively, he would probably be over in this range. But this encompasses everything. He's not the best defensive catcher in the world, but he is getting better defensively, and he is very good offensively. So in 2022, I think Wilson Contreras will be the fourth best catcher. Coming at number three, Will Smith. Will Smith just keeps getting better and better for, for the Dodgers. And one, just a, a great name. Like, you can't ever hear that name and not think, you know, it's Will Smith. So I have him at number three on this list. Uh, he's, he kind of encompasses what a catcher, what the catcher position is all about. He's good defensively. He gets better and better and better offensively. Um, he, he, could be, he could be number two or number one. He, he has that talent. But he's just, he's a catcher. He, he runs the game. He commands the game. He's good. He's young. He gets better offensively. I'm excited to watch him manage that dominant pitching staff this year in LA as well. So I have him at number three on this list. Number two, JT Realmuto. JT Realmuto is a stud. You know, I know his his time in Philly this, this prior year wasn't the best year. Um but I, I still believe in him. I still believe he is a top catcher in the game. There's no doubt about that. I believe he is the top, I believe he's the best catcher in the National League, which might be a little spoiler for number one, so try and guess it while you can, but I believe he's the best catcher in the National League. He's great defensively, and he can really hit. So I have him at the second best catcher heading into 2022. Number one, not a shocker here, Salvador Perez. Salvador Perez, the best catcher in baseball, and I believe in 2022, will continue to be the best catcher in baseball. Now, I know he keeps getting up there in age, getting older and older. He's a vet. He's a savvy vet now. But look at last season. Look at what he did down the stretch. As a catcher, as a catcher, that takes a toll on your body. He was right there in the home run race with everybody. It was him. It was Vladdy Jr., and it was Shohei Otani. And this guy 
as a catcher, took the lead. I mean, incredible what he was able to do last year. Absolutely remarkable. I think heading into this season, I don't, I'm not going to say he's going to continue that run because he was on a, on a pace that I've never seen before, especially from a catcher. But I do think he continues to rake, and I do think he continues to manage a good game behind the plate. But I think Salvador Perez, heading into the 2022 season, I think he will be the best of the bunch. So I have Travis Darneau, Wilson Contreras, Will Smith, JT Realmuto, and Salvador Perez to round out my top five catchers of the 2022 season. All right, and I like to end every show with a little extra inning segment, just something fun, exciting, something important to me, whatever it may be, that I want to shine a little extra light on. And this week, I want to talk about some guys that write for us, the Cespedes Barbecue guys, Jake and Jordan. They did a cool little segment on the United States of baseball, ranking all the top states, ranking every state and where they are. And it was really cool to me. And, and I had a couple of takeaways here, and I just wanted to highlight it because I know they put a lot of work into this and did a really good job. Here's the top 10. Ohio, Illinois, Missouri, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, Florida, Texas, New York, and number one, California. Let's look at the top five. To me, the top five says one thing. Four of these five states you can play baseball in year-round. The weather's great. You can play baseball all the time. Every one of these states has two Major League Baseball teams, except for Arizona, that hosts spring, spring training. It's a great spring training location. They all have great colleges that play there. Um, so this is cool. The top 10, good. I want to talk about something else on this list. I want to talk about my home state of Virginia at number 21. Hey, Jake and Jordan, this is wrong. It's got to be higher. Let me tell you why. One, the talent that has come from Virginia is remarkable. David Wright, Ryan Zimmerman, Michael Kadire, Justin Verlander, Ben Verlander. The talent just goes on and on and on. The fact that it is number 21 is just wrong, and it should be in the top 15, top 10, top 15. I'll give you top 15. But 21 is just a travesty. But for real, this was a lot of fun. Go check it out if you haven't. Check out where your state is. Jake and Jordan and the Cespedes guys did an incredible job on this, and it was a really fun read. Um, this has been an incredible episode, a lot of fun. We will keep bringing you episodes no matter how long this lockout goes, but hopefully it is over sooner rather than later. But this one has been a lot of fun. Thanks to Bob Nightingale again for joining me. All of you that are listening, make sure you subscribe on Apple, Spotify, wherever it is you listen to your podcast. Go ahead and tap that five-star button. It really helps. And make sure you're following along on social media. Of course, my social media is just Ben Verlander, but the Flippin' Bats pod has social medias wherever you look, Twitter, Instagram. Check out the YouTube. Every episode comes out via video on YouTube. And we have this beautiful set here designed by our design team that is absolutely incredible. So check out our YouTube as well. But this has been great, and I will see you next time on Flippin' Bats. A high fly ball, deep center field.